if you ask any scientist what's the definition of science, they'll tell you it's experimentation with observation. And that's what yoga is, and that's what the path is. The path is our whole life. We're constantly, we're always going to be on the path. This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me, and together, let's find the others. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. I am your host, Joshua Church. Grateful to have you with us. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday and Sunday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get the notification when a new episode comes out. And give me a follow on Instagram at Joshua Dean Church to catch different clips and highlights that I post. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you find something that might be valuable, please be sure to share it with a friend who also might be into it so that together we can continue to grow our tribe of others. Today, I'm super pumped to bring you a conversation I had with Jonah Kest. Jonah is a world traveler seeking global connection through yoga, pranayama, and meditation. Impermanence and compassion are just a few of the elements that Jonah seamlessly weaves through each practice that he shares. Of the Ashtanga lineage, Jonah teaches that the body is a vehicle to ultimately liberate the mind. Him and his family played a massive role in making yoga accessible in the Western world through the creation of what is known as power yoga. Jonah has already been doing yoga since he was three years old, so he's no newbie, and he's been teaching since he was 16 years old. I promise you that you will think of yoga completely differently after hearing his perspective. We had an awesome conversation around some of these powerful practices, including free diving, and his recent partnership with Nike that led him to NYC billboards in LA as well, his passion for global adventures, the changing tide in social media, and why he thinks Instagram is actually on the outs. For now, you can follow him on Instagram at Kest Yoga. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jonah Kest. Enjoy. Jonah. Hey, brother. It's so great to see you, man. Great to see you, brother. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, man. Super excited for this conversation. It's been a, it's been a long time coming. I finally was able to track you down across the globe, and it looks like you're back back home, back in Michigan. Yes, sir. I'm back home for a little bit, just getting grounded, you know, trying to get a strong start for the new year. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad time. we got to connect. I'm, I'm stoked to see you doing this and, and sharing so much wisdom and creating impact through your platform. It's it's very inspiring. I've wanted to do this for years. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Well, maybe this is the beginning for you of a little podcast series as well. I, I definitely caught the bug. It's a uh, it's a cool way, as we were talking about earlier. But you know, your whole life changes from one conversation. Has a potential to at least. And uh, it's just such a cool way in today's day and age that there's so many different ways to share those conversations with people and share those messages. And that's something that you do also sharing your messages in your own ways, whether it's through yoga, whether it's through your, your, your music, whether it's through different reflections. So it's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty cool day and age we live in, don't you think? Definitely. I, I think that there's so many different vehicles to, to share inspiration from. And, and a podcast is one of them. And I was just telling my friend this the other day, I think a podcast, in a sense, at least the person who starts it, almost comes from a selfish place. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's like you're getting so much out of the podcast 
as an interviewer. And that's one of the reasons that I'd love to interview others is because you just soak up everything and it creates that sacred space in order to exchange. And you're doing it beautifully. Totally. Thank you, brother. Yeah. And, and that's that's honestly the intention for myself with doing this. It's like, I love having these conversations. I love being real with people, having these conversations. I mean, you know, back in the Santa Monica days when we'd sit around, drink tea and like dive in past the deep end, you know, into the deep end, past the, sh- the shallow waters. And it's always something that's filled me up. And um, and then there was just too many damn conversations that I had where I I was like, dang, like we weren't recording this. I wish we recorded this conversation because I knew there was some gold in there and, and there was some some value that I think other people could get. So here we are recording the conversations. There we go. Let's do it, man. Um, Dude, I, I just wanted to say I'm stoked to see. I saw on your um, on your Instagram the other day a billboard in New York City that you were on doing some yoga. Was that through Nike? Tell me about that. That was so cool to see, man. Dude, I don't even know where to begin, man. But um, yeah, it, it, it almost I still have to pinch myself because my wildest dreams are coming true. You know, I've been doing yoga since I was the age of two. I, that, I mean, I didn't mean to rhyme there. <laughs> um, you know, and I've been an athlete my whole life and and I've always been a huge fan of Nike and I was a basketball player. So I've, I've owned almost every single model of Nike shoes that have probably ever come out. So to see Nike, you know, not just a company, but this, this company that's integrated in culture embrace yoga in such a big way. At first I was just shocked. And then to bring me on board, um, felt like such an amazing opportunity because now I have this potential to use this company the swoosh that like literally is like goes beyond languages to share this ancient practice in a modern way so i'm just stoked man because it's just the beginning and and that kind of like really just enveloped everything that i've been working on the last five years you've known me and and kind of just said boom here you go like you have it this is your this is your platform now now do something with it Totally. I mean, I remember when, when it was, a you know, I mean, we know each other for what, five years probably. And it was, it was an actual dream of yours five years ago, like real, real talk, right? You were just like, man, if I could, you know, if I could work with a company like Nike, if I could be like an ambassador for, for someone like Nike, like I could just give me that platform to, to, to spread this, to take this mainstream. And, uh, dude, like shout out to that. That's a big time. Thank you, man. Thank you for, uh, honoring that. And uh, I'm really excited to see what's to come from it. Yeah. So, so take me through that action. I'm, I'm curious. Um, so Nike decided they wanted to create a yoga line or yoga for men in particular. What's the deal there? And how did you actually get into touch with them? And how did it lead to this? I mean, massive billboard. You guys got to check it out. Massive like video billboard of you doing yoga training. Like, it was so cool. Yeah, it was in it was in L.A. in New York. And then they used a clip um, of me doing yoga in the global commercial that they aired on all the NBA basketball games. But the way it kind of worked out is Nike started kind of tapping into yoga. They were actually very late to the game. I mean, look at companies like Lululemon and Aloe. I think Nike is so big in in their major sports that they didn't really ever see yoga as something they could, you know, penetrate. And now after seeing Lululemon is not taken as a joke. I mean, their market cap, if you look at their stock, is unbelievable. And I remember when Lululemon was, you know, a baby. And even Aloe too, a lot of these companies that are on the on the rise. So I think Nike just saw that potential. And the way Nike works is they always want to come in without scaring the, the the realness. Like, for example, Nike skateboarding, right? 
they came into the shoe game with so much respect. Like they, they asked the skateboarders, you know, what can we do? They only released the shoes to the local skate shops because a lot of skateboarders were like, we don't need like Nike, this big company, they're rebels. So Nike wanted to come into yoga in an authentic way. And I think by them, you know, coming in slow really helped that. And I think there's still a lot of work to be done. But essentially, I got connected through them through a friend that worked at Nike. He he gave me an interview. He gave me a shot. And they saw everything I was doing, how I was mixing sport and yoga. And I think Nike resonated with right. that because they want to be authentic. And they didn't want to come into it too granola. They wanted to have that edge and that sport mentality you know, around yoga, where it's like yoga is a, a tool to help you better your performance versus like yoga is the end all be all exercise, which mm. I love because I've been telling people that for years. Like if you're a swimmer or a boxer or a basketball player, do yoga. It will make you better mentally, physically, emotionally. It will it will give you that edge. Yeah, I love that. What are some of the ways that it gives you the edge, would you say? Or have you or have you seen facilitated to help people get the edge? Definitely. I mean, there's so many ways. I mean, we can we, we can kind of break it up um, physically and mentally and emotionally um, physically. And let's just kind of speak to maybe basketball, because that's something that's, you know, that I played growing up and I had less injuries. You know, there's a quote that mm -hmm. my father always shares. He said, strength without flexibility leaves you with rigidity. Rigidity, if you don't know what that is, it's, it's tightness, it's dis-ease, it's, it's mm. friction. So without flexibility, you have rigidity, but flexibility on the other side without strength leaves you with instability. So you need both mm. concepts. And yoga has given me that flexibility, which has allowed me to have less injuries. It's allowed me to recover a lot quicker, those kind of physical advantages. Mentally, it's allowed me to stay much more focused. You know, I had ADD growing up like every other male teenager, which is this whole thing we don't need to get into. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. yoga and meditation strengthen your focus. I always say meditation acts like natural ADD. Um, keeps you in flow state, gets you more in touch with your body so you can react in a quicker way. Um, emotionally, you're less reactive. So you're more... You're, you're less worried about the crowd. You're less worried about, you know, what the other people on the other team are doing, how your coach is perceiving you. You're very emotionally solid. That's another thing that yoga prepares you for. So there's so many different elements. Um, but those are some of the key ones that I would say. Yeah, I love that. And for me, I remember taking one of your classes in Venice back in the day. And the one thing that I loved was, you know, there's, there's so much strength in, sur in surrender. And yoga was a great combination of building that strength and also surrendering and building that muscle to teach you how to surrender and to let go and to like get comfortable, be comfortable in the discomfort. And that's just like the whole, I mean, that's the parallel and the reflection to life for me so much is like when you're in that posture, you're in that pose and you're holding that or you're, you know, you're, you're rolling through, you're flowing and like you're feeling it, you're feeling the burn, like you just want to tap out, but it's, it's, it's relaxing. It's only activating the muscles that you need to be working. It's relaxing your jaw, your face, bringing awareness to where you're holding stress and where stress goes. And, and it's just amazing how that translates over into the day to day. Definitely. And I'm so glad you brought that up because this seems as if this is the theme for all of last year. It seems like this getting comfortable in the discomfort is, is really what yoga is if you break it down and 
really the, the main use for it. I mean, a lot of people come into yoga and they, they want to master triangle pose and they don't even know why the fuck they want to do it. They just want right. to do it because it's a pose. And they need to understand that, you know, yoga, the postures are simply tools to master your mind. The postures are simply tools to strengthen those benevolent qualities of your mind. And they're there to, to ultimately free you from those things. So that's the, that's the kind of thing that differentiated my practice growing up is I did climb down that posture ladder per se, or climb up the posture ladder where I tried to master every pose. And I thought that I was, and not to say there's anything wrong with that. I think that there's a great component to physically challenging yourself, but ultimately you need to have a deeper purpose behind what you're doing. And the fact that you understood that so early in your practice is huge because then it completely flips the perspective upside down of what you're actually trying to get out of it. Absolutely. So good. So, I mean, it's fair to say that you are an experienced yogi. <laughs> you've been doing it for since you were two years old. T- tell me a little bit more about because I think that you've got a very unique, interesting, dynamic family upbringing from you know starting yoga at that age and and your family's role in yoga as we know it today, really in the Western world. Like, can you share a little bit more about that that background? Yeah, I'll touch on that for sure. I mean. Um, as far as experience goes, I, I guess I have 23 years of experience now because I've been practicing um, <laughs> since I was two, whether I knew it or not. And um, I've been teaching since I was 17. I dropped out of uh, college and pursued yoga. I took my father's teacher training in high school and then kind of slowly brought it into college, realized college wasn't for me, dropped out, moved to LA and lived with my uncle Brian in his back shed in Venice, California and taught at his donation studio where shortly after I believe I met you. That's right. But my father and my uncle, um, Johnny Kest is my father, my uncle Brian Kest, they are, I would consider pioneers in the yoga world. Their father introduced them to yoga at the ages of 12 and 15. And they took, he took them to India when they were kids. And that's where they were first introduced. And then they lived in Hawaii and they were forced to, you know, have a daily practice. There was no choice. My grandfather was a very, very radical guy. He, he's been eating tofu since the seventies, you know, when nobody knew what tofu was. (laughs) So he he definitely uh, was out there. You would like, and um, yeah, they've definitely kind of, I feel a lot of gratitude for them because they paved the way for so many people to practice yoga now. And how else would I say it? You know, my, my father kind of stuck local in the community and then kind of branched out through Lifetime Fitness um, almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then my uncle Brian kind of moved to LA and got the exposure in LA and was able to access you know a lot of famous actors and actresses and give them privates and power yoga, which he coined the term. Um, started to gain some traction. And that's how he kind of, you know, expanded was was in LA. He took that kind of route. Very cool. Yeah. And what kind of, because it, se- it seems like there was an incredible foundation laid for you. What what things did you, did you find yourself evolving to kind of create your own style as you've gotten older? I'm sure it constantly shifts and changes. How do you, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, I definitely, you know, copied my, my dad for, for most of my life. I mean, at least for the teaching aspect, you know, I, I, I almost feel like the the Kobe Bryant that, you know, literally copied Michael Jordan, like play for play, but then eventually kind of right. became his own. And um, 
it's really all I knew. So I don't even know if it was copying. I think it's natural for a kid to copy their parents, whether it's subconscious right. or conscious. So um, I spent, you know, the first three years really just studying what my uncle and father were doing because I, I saw not only did it work for me and I only shared things that directly, you know, influenced me. If they didn't resonate with me or didn't, didn't touch me in a certain way, I didn't share it because then it would come off as inauthentic. And I think that's something that all the listeners could take away is if you're listening to a podcast and something rings really true with you, share it. Go tell somebody about it. Try it. Practice it. But if it's just something that you're repeating because you think it's going to get a reaction out of someone and you think it sounds mm-hmm. impressive, then then maybe you know sit with it a little longer. Um, and that's yeah. that's what I did. So I kind of took the the best parts, I would say, of, of all my teachers and am cultivating it in my own practice and I like to call it the remix. Not to get too nice. long, not to get too long-winded, but I think everything is a remix and nothing is original. Um, and that's kind of where I'm Tell at. me more about that. I was introduced to this TED Talk like 2 or 3 years ago where this guy basically, you know, says everything's a remix. And I resonated with this so much and he he showed some old tracks of Bob Dylan. I don't know if you're familiar with Bob Dylan and how he literally took yeah folk songs from like the 50s and basically made him his own and you like he played back the folk songs and then he played back some of Bob Dylan's greatest hits and you're like this is almost like theft i mean the same melody some of the same words so and it it just shows you that like nothing is like original even though people try to be mm-hmm. claim they're self-taught or whatever everything is is remixed and revitalized yeah, so true. And, and, you know, I mean, you see this if you just study history as well, like Tony Robbins, right? He studied from his mentor and, you know, his mentor studied from his mentor and, and they like people learn from what they study and how they grow up and then what they do. And in my opinion, it's 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 repackaging the wisdom. You know, the more that I study, I, I had a rabbi on here as well. And the more that I study, you know, my my heritage and, and Judaism as well and study the Old Testament, the Bible, the more I see like I see these lessons in here that are being taught in all the self-help books. And it's like, oh, wow, like, well, this is a source of where a lot of this comes from. And like this is a source where a lot of this comes from. So it's interesting to see. But I feel like every generation needs repackaging of these of these essential principles of these truths of these 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 things that resonate these wisdom pieces and uh and 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 i feel like that's what we're doing in a way i love that analogy of like remixing it and paying credit where credit is due to the people to the people that have laid the tracks but remixing that and repackaging that wisdom stephen covey the seven habits of highly effective people like it's all just like every generation it seems to just like have people repackage it and really it's like translate it into language that resonates into stories and language that resonates with with the day and age and the times so well said bro so well said. i love that repackaging and that that's what we're like you said we're doing we're taking this ancient wisdom that you know a lot of people aren't gonna go you know, into the Himalayas and find the scriptures in the caves. Like they're just, so basically, you know, you're doing a service to others if you can take these complex old teachings that were written in a book 5,000 years ago and you can bring them to light in a simple yet effective creative way. And that's through content, through podcasts, through photographs, whatever your medium is. Is, is that what you see as the driving force for you behind the content that you produce, behind the travel that you do? Do you, do you view it that way? Yes, 
100%. Because I feel I couldn't do what I do. I couldn't travel thousands of miles and and go lengths that you wouldn't even know to get some of these sh- photographs that I've tried to get or classes that I've taught in, in different places. I just couldn't wake up in the morning with as much motivation and enthusiasm as I do without a deeper why, without a deeper purpose. Yeah. You know, like I just don't, I don't know, maybe it's different for other people, but I just don't feel motivated to get out of bed in the morning to give somebody a workout. I just think there has to be, why are we working out? What's the bigger purpose? And for me, it's, it's all about freeing the mind. I don't know if you mm-hmm. want to get into that. I, I just feel like the, the, the whole goal of yoga, if you really want to take it from, from what it is, is to become enlightened. Mm-hmm. And enlightenment kind of has this like juju, like, okay, enlightenment doesn't really exist. What is enlightenment? And for anyone listening, I feel like enlightenment is really, in its simplest term, your highest potential. That's all it is. So if you can help someone access their highest potential through movement, through breath, through awareness and observation, that's something I want to wake up for in the morning. Well said. The the basic human functions that are often overlooked in our digital in our digital day and age, right? How are you moving, breathing, sleeping, feeling, thinking? You know, like what are the basic human functions and how can we how can we in each moment, in each expression of those functions, how can we do that to the highest potential, to the highest degree of presence, to the highest degree of consciousness and awareness. Exactly. And, and I love that you said those are the basic human, um, well, how did you word that? Functions. Yeah, the basic human functions. And the reason that we need to pay attention to the most is because they are basic. And when things are basic, we don't pay attention to them. You know, I, I'm still tripped right. out that I, I get paid and I make a living off teaching people how to breathe. It just I, I doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> Right. I have a feeling that, you know, in this in the shift that we're seeing and in the coming, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, that is going these are going to be the most taught and sought after skills to to become back to being human. We, we've been in the process of just optimizing everything and making everything more efficient and easier to the point where, like, we don't even have to really breathe. I just read that there's this new term that's called laptop apnea. And this is a scientific thing now where people are getting so drawn into the laptop, into the computer that they forget to breathe and they get apnea. I was talking to a friend the other day who told me about that. I was like, that's odd. And then the next day, someone sent me an article about like this term called laptop apnea of getting really lost into it or getting caught in the stress or the perceived stress of it. And then forgetting to actually like breathe and then catching yourself, right? You know, we know sleep apnea is a thing, but laptop apnea is now an actual term. That is beyond me. And and and, and really it doesn't surprise me, <laughs> but wow, right. laptop apnea, that's another one. Right. So it, I think it just goes to show that, and, and I think that generally like people are, people are kind of waking up to this and, and understanding, hold up here. There's there's a lot more to this whole life than we thought. And and I want to actually there's a lot more to myself than I thought. And I want to explore these different ways. I want to learn how to breathe better, move better, sleep better, these basic human functions so that I can be a more efficient person, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, you know, it, I was just interviewed on, on, a, on a Nike train podcast with Ryan Flattery. And 
and he brought up something that was interesting. He said, you know, I've been studying human mechanics and human functions and I've talked to doctors and, and people and, and psychologists and people that study the brain and stress for 20 years at Harvard. And he said that every single one of them, if, if they could give you one tip to reduce your stress, it's deep breathing. And it's like, you had to go to Harvard to f figure that out, you know? <laughs> it's like, and, and he said the same thing. He, he was shocked, you know, because all these people, we try to overanalyze and we try to, like you said, everything's so made for us to be easier that we forget the necessities. And yoga is just bringing right. us back to our organic nature. Absolutely. And it's kind of a funny thing that when you think about, we're not taught how to breathe like in school, you know what I'm saying? Like we're not actually properly taught how to breathe. I didn't know how to breathe until I started getting deeper into the world of breath work and into yoga, learning how to diaphragmatic breath breathing, like breathing through your actual diaphragm and getting the most oxygen and, and instead of being shallow chest. And it's a, it's, it's so funny, but it's, it's the only thing that we have from the beginning to the end. It's the only thing that stays with us from when we're born till when we die is our breath. Wow, I and love that. I'm going to, can I use that in my next yoga class? use it use it it's the only thing and, and i got this from you remix it exactly and this that's a remix from um from tyler forbes um shout out to tyler i'm gonna get him on the podcast soon he lives in san diego here and he's he was a chiropractor and he now is starting a breathwork studio like a studio for breathwork and cold immersion it's it's unbelievable and he gives his whole kind of spiel in the beginning Dude, yeah, you 100% do. It's it's so next level. And he gives a spiel in the beginning around how, you know, there's in and the the monks when they're when they're super young, like 6, 7 years old, the first thing that they're taught is how to breathe because it is the only thing that is with them from the beginning of their life till the end of their life. And it and it makes so much sense and we're just not taught it, but that's why we need teachers like you that are that are repackaging, remixing this and and bringing it to to the masses. And and that's why like I I see what you see through how powerful the, that Nike partnership is for you, because I mean, you know, the doors that can open from that way to be able to bring that in, in the unique way that you do through the competition, through the basketball, through that kind of integrated lifestyle, I think is really powerful. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, um, I'd love to talk. I don't know where you want to go. I'm sure you have, you know, some, some more questions, but I'd love to kind of dive into, to breath work. And um, I know you've Let's had an incredible in, journey and I'm sure you've talked, have you talked about your journey with breath work and, and the, the trip you did on the podcast? Yep. I'm sure you have. Yep. So I, I'd love and, to maybe yeah. touch on that and, and, and take away a few things from you and also share my perspective and, and some things that I've learned recently. Let's hear it, man. Let's hear it. Tell me about the breath. Cool. So yeah, I mean, I've been doing breath work, you know, for a while now and I've been doing different forms of pranayama, which pranayama is just basically breathing techniques in Sanskrit. And um, there's a few that I've been doing. There's Kale Bhakti and there's um, Bastrika, which is more of a deep, forceful, active exhalation, very purifying for the blood, builds a lot of heat, strengthens the immune system. Um, but I recently was just introduced to free diving. And I know we talked about it a little bit when I visited your family yeah. for Shabbat dinner, which was so incredible. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great. And um, yeah, f the whole world of freediving is so yogic and I don't even think they know it or maybe they do. Tell me about freediving. I want to hear about the freediving experiences and what you've learned from your freediving. Oh my goodness. Talk about surrender. Freediving is surrender mm. because you have to basically let go of the fact. There's, I just watched an amazing TED talk on this professional freediver from France. And he says that when you're coming up the line, think about it. He's like 100 meters down. When you're coming up the line, 
you're basically on your last reserve. And he said, you can't look up towards the surface. You have to keep your head completely leveled out and, and vertically looking in or horizontally looking in front of you. Because if you look up, you're, you're done. He said, you're out. So you have to surrender. Why the mental, the mental component or what, or is there something physiological? It's, it's, it's the mental component. You'll see the surface and you'll try yeah. to get there faster and you'll wear yourself out. You have right. to just remain present and completely in surrender and know that the ocean is way more powerful than you. Because if you don't surrender, he said, your lungs will just collapse at that level of freediving because of the pressure. Right. He's, he right. almost described it like there's like two walls just pressing in against you. That's how deep the pressure gets on, when you're like, you know, 30 meters, 100 meters down deep. the surface. And he says, if you don't like literally physically everything surrender, you'll literally just be crushed. So you have to almost soften. And I thought that was such yeah. a cool concept. But anyways, I've been experimenting. I'm not doing 100 meters. I've been doing some caves in Tulum. And I had a few uh, workshops in Costa Rica with this master freediver. And he taught me how to you know, soften the diaphragm and how to hold more oxygen and this technique called carping where you inhale through the mouth. And then you want to have a full breath, you go, you have even more air. Interesting. You empty it all out. This is called um, Baya Kumbhaka, exhale retention. So it's actually a yogic term. You empty all the air out. Mm -hmm. So now you're on no oxygen. And the carbon dioxide gets into your blood much quicker and then brings you to that edge. So you can practice working with contractions. And contractions mm. are what happens when you have no oxygen left in your body. You almost get this like pulse in your sternum. It feels like the beginning of drowning, right? Essentially, yeah. But free divers are masterful because they know how to work with it. And the contractions are really, they're very, very key because any free diver knows that the amount of contractions you have is very close to the time where you're going to pass out. And they're so mentally, Interesting. yeah, it's crazy. So they're so mentally tough that they know they'll literally pass out in the water if they don't know their bodies. But generally you'll have about 10 to 20 contractions before you pass out. So that's a good measurement to know actually how much left they can go. And I remember the first session I ever had, he had us laying on our back in the water with one person supporting my um, upper back and my legs. And we'd do deep breathing for about two minutes. And then he'd flip us over and we'd lay static face down in the water. And I held my breath for three minutes and I've never been more relaxed in my whole life. But I also took myself to that place of the unknown where mm. I had nothing left. And it was the most spiritual experience I've had in a while because I literally was almost felt like I was dying in a weird way. Right. Out of body almost. But that... It's a that, journey. I'm just beginning and I'm so excited cool. about it, obviously. <laughs> that's so cool. I love that. I'm so into it's it's like putting all of this to like the test in such an extreme way that just gets me so excited. Right. It's like all taking these concepts and putting it into like putting it to the test. And I think that's why I've loved the cold immersion and doing these crazy trips and things in Iceland or Sweden and going into the, you know, into the freezing water, uh, because it's the same thing where you have to soften. Like the first time I went in without an instruction, like you're, you're trying to brave it. Like, okay, come on, like, let's, let's hold together. Let's brave it. Like we can do this. And mama nature slaps you silly across the face when you try to do that. But when you go in and just like relax and surrender, it's almost just like, uh, it's a softening. It's just like a, 
okay. And you just fully give yourself. And I do this in the cold, in the shower and the, in the cold tub too, on a daily basis is just like, just act, you just practicing that, like, oh, just like that release, that surrender in those stressful environments where your body is actually red alarm stress. We don't have oxygen or you're going to die of hypothermia when we can choose to relax or you're in the hot yoga room or you're in deep in a posture when you can relax into it. It just builds that stress, stress tolerance. And it's, it's amazing. I've been blown away the results of how it translates over day to day. And I'm, I'm sure you could say the same. Dude. Yeah. Well said, man, that, that specific technique of cold water immersion and breath work, obviously they tie really closely together. Um, but that's also changed my life. And I made the commitment, uh, 30 days straight to be doing it. I'm on day six and, um, it's nice, man. It's freezing cold in Michigan right now. So most people would, would, would think that's maybe not so great, but for me, it means free ice plunges <laughs> in the there summer, in the there summer I had to pay for $20 worth of ice and it was starting to get an expensive habit. So now it, it's it free. Is. It definitely does. <laughs> and the place I'm staying oh, has a sauna good, right now. So I'm able to like go back and forth. And if you if you're wanting to try a cold plunge at home, if you're staying in the the tub for, you know, if it's under 40 degrees and you're in there for more than five minutes, don't expect a hot shower to warm you up. So it is it is really right. nice to have a, a sauna to like keep you kind of leveled. Leveled for sure. Um I want to I want to chat a bit about some of the travels and stuff that you've done. So a r- quick brief question. What would you say that you do? Like if I were to ask you, what do you do? Like what what do you say to that? I always love asking this question because like I know my answer is, is far from the usual you know response that people want. But like what what is it that you do? Would you say? That's a tough one. I don't know. People ask me all that all the time and I tell them I still don't know what I am. <laughs> but I guess you know I love it. You could call me a yoga teacher. That's something uh, a a yoga share. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean what I think that you are based on your conversation is you're doing exactly what you said is just repackaging, remixing ancient wisdom and 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 sharing it or teaching it to people in a way that resonates yeah, across, across the, board. the board. Exactly and I, I try to stay away from labels, but I feel like for me, um, I'm so comfortable in yoga and it's something that is so yeah. deeply ingrained and it's in my blood that really for me, yoga is just the vehicle, kind of like your podcast, for me to, to, to share and for me to, to give freely and to give away things without expecting anything back in return. And, and as you can tell, I'm, I'm, I'm an explorist. I love so many different aspects of life. I love traveling and I love soaking up new information and trying new things, cold plunge, mm-hmm. breath work, free diving. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I had the amazing opportunity of asking Sadhguru one question. And I said, how can, you know, a young person in this life find purpose? And Sad, Sadhguru responded, he said, Namaskar Jonah. <laughs> he said, he says, don't find purpose. And I was like, what? I'm listening really close. He's like, He's like, don't worry about purpose. He goes, just explore this life. And like this like wave of like almost heavy weight just lifted. And I was just like, wow, like Mm. we don't need to have a purpose. And then he goes on to say that anyone that's had a strong sense of purpose, like a real strong sense of purpose has been like a dictator. Like Hitler had a strong sense of purpose. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, that was powerful for me to hear. In the sense of just going into things without any expectations, just having 
just exploring this life internally, externally, and trying Mm -hmm. all things Mm -hmm. and seeing what sticks. I don't think that someone needs to have a strong sense of purpose. And I I really agreed with Sadhguru. But I don't know if that answers your question. I still don't know what I am. (laughs) That's that's interesting. I like that. I mean, to me, the way I think, and and my mom always said this from to me when I was at a young age of purpose, you don't find your purpose, you create your purpose. And you create it in every and, and the way that I take this and the way that I believe this is that we create our purpose in every single moment and every moment. And, and it kind of comes back to what you were saying is in each moment. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I kind of visualize there's there's Joshua Church, there's JC and then there's JP. Joshua's potential. And in every moment, there's almost like two characters that are playing out at the beginning of the day when that alarm goes off, like JC myself is going to act a certain way. But JP is going to take is going to be living my day through to the fullest potential possible. He's going to be getting up on that first alarm. He's going to be very present in conversations. He's going to be focused. He's going to be doing the things that he knows he needs to do. And it's really just bringing that intention to every single moment throughout the day, like fully one full expression. And to me, where I find purpose and where I create purpose is like almost competing with JP in a way, competing with myself in a way to see how can I sh- how can I act in the most purposeful way? If I'm doing the dishes, how can I do the dishes in the most purposeful way? If I'm having a conversation with Jonah, how can I do this in the most purposeful way? How can I do it on purpose and be fully present while I'm doing this instead of just doing it with my mind elsewhere? So that, I, I like what you're saying there. It's like, it's not necessarily something you find, but it's something that you can bring to every moment. Oh my gosh, dude. that That's a golden nugget for me right there. I love what you just said. That's like bring purpose into everything. And that's, and, and, yeah. and what I got from you is purpose is presence. Purpose yes. is, is being Bingo. in that very, very moment. Way to say it. And it's like, that's why I always tell people, you know, you can do yoga doing the dishes. You can do yoga walking your dog. You know, yoga is just being aware and being aware is being right. present. So it's so connected. And dude, you, you said it. Let's. I love that. <laughs> That's great. Purpose equals presence. That one's coming with me too. Mm. That's so, it's so true, man. Cause when you bring that presence into every moment and it's like, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's cool to go do yoga for an hour on the mat, but how are you bringing that off the mat? How is that translating off of the mat and into the day to day into the nitty gritties when there's traffic, there's iPhones, there's, there's, there's laptops, there's, there's people on the road, right? Like there's all these different things. How do we take that practice and bring it to everything else off the mat and into um, the world? I like it. And I noticed that you, something that you either said or you mentioned to me a while ago, you said that the path is the practice. Mm. What does that mean? The path is the practice. Uh, I put that in my Instagram bio because I just oh, feel that's like, what it is. yeah, the, you know, the whole practice, you know, people think of a yoga practice as the one thing they do, you know, they go into a studio and they roll out their mat and they do a yoga practice, but really what a yoga class is, and let me know if I make sense. You can ask me questions. I'm kind of like still rewriting yeah, yeah. this in my mind. Um, but what a yoga yep. class really is, it's, is it's, a, it's a medium. So it's not quite real life, but it's not quite meditation where you're like in a comfortable area on your, 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 cushion, your cushion. But it's like that mm-hmm. in between where you can practice all those qualities of equanimity, you can practice awareness, all those benevolent qualities, um, focus, concentration, patience, generosity, presence. You can practice all those things Mm. in a controlled environment where you have an instructor, there's other like-minded, beautiful people around you, but it's not quite real life. 
So it's a great way to practice all those things. So once you get into real life, it's almost second nature. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. I love that. That's a, that that resonates definitely. It's like a yeah. college before you go to before you step into real life. You're just practicing all these things. Right. 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 And you it gives you the chance to to practice embodying the things that you want to embody and to become the person you want to become. It's like a, uh, it's a playground for that where you get to practice that and, and bring that and bring that into the, you know, bring that off of the mat. Exactly. It's, it's really, um, a science it's experimentation yes. with observation. That's what, if you ask any scientist, what's the definition of science, they'll tell you it's experimentation with observation. And that's what yoga is. And that's what the, the path is. The path is our whole life. We're constantly, we're always going to be on the path. And that's the practice because that's, we're always in it, but we just maybe don't know it. Every experience, Josh, that me and you have, every experience that any of you have is leading you to this very moment that we're in right now. Every moment's a lesson, especially the moments that maybe don't make you feel good, especially the people in your life that maybe you rub up against. Those are your teachers. That's why the path is the practice because I don't want to separate yoga from life. They're the same thing. It's just a, a more of a supported room and setting. Drop the mic. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. So, okay. Tell me, Jonah. So, I mean, so, so you, so you travel, you get paid to travel, right? Like you get paid to travel. Yes. Is that accurate to say? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, okay. it's a little bit more complex than that. Um, but I guess the other realm of what I do to kind of like support myself. Um, and first off, I want to say, and I don't want to say this with any kind of, um, I want to say this with humility, but yeah. I'm, I don't think that anyone that teaches yoga is really charging for the yoga, if that makes sense. Because Big you time. can't put a price on things that, you know, we're, that you, we're talking about, our teachers are talking about the yogic principles. You can't really put a price on, tag on that. They're, they're too expensive. <laughs> they're too right. rich, right. Those, those teachings. So what I always say is that I'm not, I'm not charging for yoga or I'm not charging for a yoga class, which actually all my yoga classes to date are on donation basis which I've gotten that principle from my uncle at Brian and Vipassana. I think we talked a little bit about that last time. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a really beautiful way to give and, um, you know, allow the universe to, to abundantly take care of you. Um, I, I can talk about that a little bit more in a second. Um, but yep. where, where was I going with this? But what else you do? What else you do to support yourself for an income? So yeah, after I put that out there, I, I teach yoga. I run, you know, uh, weekly classes. I, you know, I, I'm endorsed by Nike now, which has been a huge blessing in my life. I lead yoga teacher trainings for anyone wanting to deepen their practice or become yoga teachers. Um, and again, use that as a vehicle to share whatever they want to share. It's just a really good tool. Mm -hmm. um, and then also on the other side of that, I've kind of dove into social media about five years ago, right when I was getting into college, I had a school project and the school project was on yoga. And I said, oh, cool. I, like, and it was, it was, um, I can't remember exactly the project, but I had to take pictures of myself doing yoga to like showcase the, the board or whatever, the vision board or whatever it was. So one of my friends at the time 
in my class was a photographer and he wanted to collaborate with me. He's like, do you mind if I take pictures of you doing these poses? So I said, sure, like, let's try it. I don't know if it's going to be anything, but he took some pictures of me. He sent me the files, you know, a few weeks later and I, I posted one on Instagram and people are like, yo, what are you doing, man? Cause this is like five years ago and I was doing like a handstand or something. And they're like, this is pretty cool. You should share more of this. And then I started to like kind of get into that a little bit. And eventually I bought my own camera, which opened up this whole new doorway of photography, which was just another creative outlet for me at the time, which I I still love to this day. And um, that kind of grew into me developing a social media following and working with brands and traveling and working with tourism destinations. Like I just did a trip with Visit Dubai and Visit Rasselkeimer, which are some states in the UAE. And um, yeah, so that, that's been a great way to like showcase uh, my photography and yoga and be supported by, by tourism, you know, companies, by, you know, everything from like wellness brands, like, uh, like juice companies, still waiting for that Suja deal. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, you know, so it's been, it's been great. Like I, I feel, I feel uh, very blessed to be able to share like be unique through yoga. Cause I feel like there's so much competition out there with like photography and lifestyle creators. There's so much of it out there. And I felt like I was able to kind of get in there and be different just by being myself because there's so mm. many nature photographers. There's so many like models and there's so many, but no, not many people were mixing both worlds. And I felt like I, I was just right with the timing and we'll see how long it lasts. Cause honestly, I think Instagram's dying. So I'm, I'm trying to like mm. figure out a way to like, get see what's next i mean i just joined clubhouse i mean i'm getting pretty desperate at this point <laughs> yeah wait do, why, why what do you see with instagram i just i feel it drowning i really do and i don't say that in a pessimistic way i just feel like yeah. people are not motivated anymore um there's a lot of censorship going on yep that's a whole nother can of worms that i don't really i'm not that educated about so i don't know if i want to talk about it but i've been i've been obviously yeah. very aware of it and um, I just totally. feel like people aren't as engaged because they, they don't feel like they're a part of it. Um, they don't feel like they're a part of the recipe. And not to get too right. off topic, but I just listened to another seminar by my great friend Sunil Gupta. And he wrote a book called Backable, which I got to get you a copy, man. This is just the one of the Love best him. books. And it's, the book's all about finding your purpose, your dharma which is the yogi's word for purpose, but it's also about being backable. So like, how can you be the most backable person in the sense of like someone investing into you? What, not even just monetarily, but mm. emotionally. And he gives a variety of um, examples everywhere from he had lunch with Tim Ferriss and, and, and gave this amazing example. But this one example was with um, the baker, Mar Martha, was it Martha Stewart? No. Um, what, what's the baker? Betty Crocker. Betty, Betty Crocker. Crocker. Yep. And he, he said that Betty Crocker in the 1950s released this cake mix. People in the, are probably like, what the hell is he talking about? All right, it's all, it's all going to come together. <laughs> so she released this cake mix in the 1950s. It was the first cake mix, and she wanted to get it to every household in America, but it just would not sell. And the cake mix was just cake mix, and all you had to do was add water. It was genius. No one's ever thought of it before. But it just would not sell, like literally. No one would take it off the shelves, or people wouldn't rebuy it. So they took it to a psychologist and the psychologist said, I want you to remake this cake mix 
but I want you to take out one more ingredient. So she took out the egg replacement in there and she said, now when you get the box, I want you to crack an egg and then add the water. And it sold millions. And the reason wow. it sold millions is because the, the families, they felt like they were a part of the experience. They didn't just feel like it was her thing and they added water. They, they actually helped make it. And that's what true leaders do is they bring people in and help them feel like they're a part of the experience. That's how you become backable. And that was huge for me. It gave me the chills. And now going back into what I was talking about with, um, what was it? Remind me. Instagram. Instagram. People aren't feeling like they're a part of the experience. So I think the future of social media is smaller subunits like memberships to you know, Facebook groups are like private social media groups where everyone's really heard and seen. Yes. And can be, and can share their authentic voice in that way. Yes. Wow. Dude, that's a great, that's so cool. I never knew that about the Betty Crocker story. That's so, I got to get my hands on this book. I got to get a copy of this book. That sounds wonderful. Um, so, well, that's interesting. You know, I, I read a study the other day. So, you know, I, I, I think that it's it's interesting the whole world of social media influencers, right? And and you're technically, I guess you would be considered a social media influencer. I think that you really bring an authentic way of doing it and it was almost like it was almost a byproduct of you sharing what you ge- what you genuinely felt called to share. Would you agree with that? Of course. And and which which I think is great and and you can feel that authentically. Like you can't really fake that authenticity in the way and you can you can feel that in what you're doing that like hey, this is someone who just who is caring about their craft and has built a following that way. But I just I just saw the study that they they surveyed um, young Americans and, uh, you know, teenage kids to, you know, early 20s, I think. And they asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? 86% of them said a vlogger or influence social media influencer, <sighs> which is really, really, really interesting. I was curious to get your take on that. Wow. I mean, it is, you know, if you see it, it looks like the dream job and, you know, it is an incredible job, but it definitely has its own challenges. And I think that, you know, people think they, they glamorize entrepreneurship because there is a sense of freedom. There's a sense of not having to report to anyone or, you know, having to work nine to five. There is a glamour to it, but also there's a immense hustle that people don't see and that, you know, like you have, like a lot of of our friends have that you you just have to go out there and get it and it's a different kind of mentality and, and it, I'm still working on it but like you have to really create opportunities for yourself but I then again I mean especially with technology and the way kids are growing up my little sister's 12 years old and you know she's all over TikTok and and all all she's seeing is these famous TikTokers and of course that's all they see they're going to want to be what they see um, and right. There's nothing wrong with that. I just think that it's not everybody can yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, it, it almost to me, it almost feels like getting the cart before the horse, right? It almost feels like the backwards approach. It's like, go pursue something or find something that you feel genuinely called and passionate about sharing. And the byproduct of that may or may not be it, garnering some sort of influence or some ability to earn an income from doing it that way. Right. But, um, it is, it, it is a really, it's a really interesting conversation. And, 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 you know, this is an entrepreneur as well. Like how many days, Jonah, how many days are there where you just like wish that you just could have someone tell you what to do 
and, you know, just check the boxes. And then when the day's over, you close the computer and you're good. You got a guaranteed salary coming in. There's two sides to the equation. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs also. It's like I, there's so many times when 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 I have clients, people are just like, man, I just like I want to go back to my job or I you know, I just wish I, I want to go work at a cafe. I just want to get into some sort of service and some sort of structure because it, there's blessings and curses, right? It's two sides to everything. There's, but we 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 see the glamour, we see the fantasy of it, but like we don't see the hustle or the foundation of the years that you put in to be able to to have that relationship with the tourist board or to to have that build that relationship with Nike. We just see like, oh, Jonah's a Nike influencer and and is able to earn income from from doing that and traveling the world. Like that's so cool. But there's there's so many there's so many layers around that, right? It's the tip of the iceberg that we see. Exactly, man. And it's like. There, there is no such thing as an overnight success, and there, there's so many things that went into to Nike getting introduced to yoga, and then Nike finding me, and then me somehow after a year and a half in conversation with them, you know, finally coming to an agreement. And you know, being right. an entrepreneur, man, is tough because like I've, I'm pretty open about finances, but like I've had months where I literally lost money, and when I first started teaching. I don't know if I told you this, but I actually lost money. Like every time I taught a yoga class, I literally lost money. And you're probably asking yourself, how is that possible? Yeah. Because when I taught at my uncle's donation studio, you had to pay rent for the space for the hour. So mm. personally, at the time, it cost me $40 to rent the room. And anything I made in donations, I got to keep. But when I first started out, it's like owning your own studio. They don't like put you on like the schedule. You just have to let people know. So I, I would get like maybe two or three people a class if I was lucky. And I'd maybe make like 25, 20 in donations if I was lucky. And I would be literally right. losing $20 a class. I'm like, what am I doing? This happened for two years. And, wow. And, and I obviously had other jobs. Like I worked at Cafe Gratitude. I, I had a few other jobs to, to keep me afloat during the time. Shout out to Cafe G. <laughs> yeah, shout out. That's where we first kind of <laughs> dropped in. And um, yeah, so I'm just saying like, I, I bring that up because you have to be willing to give and everything you got without getting rewarded financially at first. And I think eventually you'll, you'll break out of that, but you have to go through it. Like, I mean, it's just, but now my donation classes, I'm I'm, they're so abundant. I don't ask anyone for money. Some people give me a dollar and I, I, I look on the thing and I see some people give me a dollar and some people give me 40 for one class. And I'm like, wow, like this, per they can all practice yoga. No one's discluded. This person, you know, can only give a dollar at this current moment. And the other person's obviously doing really well to pay someone $40 for a Zoom yoga class. And it's like, it's like totally this like wheel of like support and, and, and energy exchange. And it just feels so good to be able to give, but also get that energy exchange. And like our good friend, Ricky says, shout out Ricky, ener money is energy. And like That's Ricky right. taught me this, that principle, like a few years ago, he was like, Jonah, I want to learn the handstand. And he's like, I'll pay you to teach me. And I'm like, Ricky, come on, like, stop joking around. You don't got to pay me. And he's like, he's like, dude, it won't, it won't happen if I don't pay you because there has to be an energetic exchange. And I'm like, no, it'll happen. And of course he doesn't pay me. And then I don't get back to him, but not because it's about the money, but I just, you know, I, I didn't have anything to like hold me accountable and there's distractions of life. And 
and him as well. He, you know, without his skin in the game, then he doesn't have anything. I mean, how many times have you, you know, you, you buy something and you maybe it's not it's not as expensive as it as it needs to be to keep your skin in the game or you get something for free and you don't use it. And then all of a sudden you pay for it and you're you're going to be sure you use it. So that energetic exchange is uh, there's there's a balancing point with that energetic exchange. And it, it's a really important principle to understand. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's that that's that's a good one. And I think that, you know, it's just another way of investing into yourself and investing into into something, into a product or right. The uh the handstands are cool, I must admit. I love the I love I love how you do the handstands. I, that's a it's a practice that uh maybe I have to pay you to uh to help teach me how to do that one day because that's something that you know, <laughs> that, you know my Venmo. It's a- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's good, man. But um, I'm I can't believe an hour has flown by already, bro. It's um, it's been it's been a pleasure to uh, to drop in with you. I want to just kind of hand it back to you. And if there's anything, any any things that you feel called to share here as we wrap up, would love to hear. Yeah, man. I, I just want to first of all thank you uh, for for giving me your platform to to share my story and to share some things that I've I've learned on this path. Um, we're all on this path together. Anyone that's on the path out there, I bow down to you. I know it's not easy work and I wish you many victories and many successes along your journey. Same to you, brother. And um, I'm looking forward to the next time we can reconnect in person and, and free dive yeah. and cold plunge and breathe and, and Shabbat dinner. Give my love to the whole family. I will. I definitely will. Yeah, man. I, I think that's it. I, I'm, I'm so glad we did this podcast because I feel like in other podcasts, I oftentimes get stuck in sharing mm. the same story of what you know, where I came from, my my legacy, and that's kind of a slippery slope. So I really appreciate you giving me the space to talk about new and current things, and um, I, I definitely got a lot of value out of it. Awesome. Purpose is presence. Purpose is that's 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 coming on the post-it note. That's going that on the whiteboard. That might be the title. Now. That's good. That's the that's a t- that's the good takeaway for me. So as we talked about, it comes full circle in the beginning. We're talking about how selfish it is because I just got that nugget today. Purpose equals presence, and that one is coming with me. So Jonah, thank you, brother. Much love, and um, excited to uh, continue our conversations and remixing, repackaging, and sharing it all with the world, man. Mm. Namaste, brother. Namaste. Namaste.